that you are going to be the most diverse generation in U.S. history and what that means. When I say that, what does that sound like to you? What's your initial reaction? It's going to be really good for the country. Yeah, more opportunities. It's going to be really good for the country. I feel like diverse means like a, the most diverse generation means that um, each race each race has the, the same opportunity to be successful and um, follow their dreams or vision. Less racism, for sure. That's a given. I feel like it could be good or bad because it could go either way, you know? Like, our generation could take um, this country like downhill or it could like fix stuff, you know? Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode two of Hello, Gen Z, a podcast where we get to know America's youngest generation with its help. I'm Christy Totten here with my co-host, Abby Hamlin. You just heard from Jordan Ayub, William Mackins, Deshaun Mack, and Jordan Lee, members of the Blue Heart Foundation. It's an organization that helps young men get ready for college and careers. Thank you for bringing me into your headquarters for a great conversation. You may have heard some of the cliches and stereotypes about Generation Z, and you may even believe them. The young Americans who make up this generation, those born in 1997 or after, are aware of what you might think of them. The main misconception is probably that we are bound to our devices and that we mindlessly follow woke culture without uh, fully interrogating those issues. People look at us like we're very young and very stupid and childish and that we're, we're very oblivious to things. Mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. they confuse us for millennials. I feel like they have, they have a strong negative opinion of millennials and then they try to represent it. These are some of the things you're going to hear from Gen Z as they explain who they really are. On this episode, we're going to take a deep dive into one of Generation Z's defining characteristics. They're the most racially and ethnically diverse generation in U.S. history. In our last episode, we gave you an overview of the generations. But just as a little reminder, starting in 1901, we have the GI generation, then the silent generation, baby boomers, Gen X, millennials are next, and then Gen Z. Generations have characteristics that define each one, whether it's a world event like a war or products like radios, computers, or smartphones. So since we're talking about generations, let's compare. The population of non-white Americans has soared over the years, and we know this because Pew Research has tracked the racial makeup of 6 to 21-year-olds for decades. In 1968, with baby boomers coming of age, only 18% of young Americans were people of color. 18% in the whole country. Now, 48% of the members of Gen Z between the ages of 6 and 21 are not white. That's almost half. Yeah, we told you in our first episode about how Americans ages 16 and under have already become a majority non-white. It was just announced by the census this year. When we first started researching Generation Z, we kept coming back to that statistic and we wondered, why is this happening? You know, what does it mean? And so we kept asking until we found people who had answers. We've been very focused in this podcast on making sure to hand the microphone over to Gen Z to tell us about themselves. But we do think it's important to spend some time here talking to some experts who can really explain this demographic shift. Okay, great. So uh, just to begin with, could you just go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure, I'm Kim Parker, and I'm the Director of Social Trends Research at the Pew Research Center in Washington, D.C. 
Do you know like why the um, those groups are getting larger? Uh, is it immigration? Is it just having to do with having more kids? Or how do you explain that? It does have to do with immigration. Um, so the immigration patterns that, you know, kind of post-1965 wave of immigrants, Hispanic and Asian immigrants into the country has, you know, affected the the racial and ethnic composition of the country overall. And um, we also know that since we have more immigrants in the U.S. now and immigrants have higher fertility rates than native-born Americans do, that that's contributing. So a large share of the of Generation Z are actually the children of immigrants. About 7% of them are immigrants themselves, but 22% of them have at least one foreign-born parent, and that's significantly higher than what we saw with millennials and certainly much higher than what we saw with Gen X or baby boomers when they were this age. The number of immigrants coming to the United States really started picking up in the 1970s. So between 1970 and 2018, the number of immigrants grew by about 34 million. And to give you an idea of what that looks like, if you add up the current populations of America's four largest cities, that's New York City, L.A., Chicago, and Houston, you're not even halfway there. Yeah, immigration has been a major factor in population growth in the U.S., and that was expected to continue before the pandemic. But it'll be interesting to watch where that all goes from here. Bill Fry has been studying this for decades. He's a highly respected demographer who works for the Brookings Institution. He was so fascinated by what was occurring that he wrote a book about it called Diversity Explosion, How New Racial Demographics Are Remaking America. He says it used to be that when you thought about demographics, you'd think of coastal California, Texas, Florida, New York City, and places like that. But that's not the case anymore. This racial and ethnic diversity is spreading to all parts of the country. Remember earlier when we said that Americans ages 16 or under were already a majority non-white? Bill Fry was talking about that prediction way before the census confirmed it. And he says you can already see how these demographics are changing people's attitudes. That's a very different kind of mix of folks than among the young people in our country going back for a long time. As a result of that, as well as growing up in families that are racially diverse, uh, they're going to have very different attitudes about inclusion, about uh, you know interracial marriages, about even government programs that help uh, folks of different backgrounds and so forth. And not just the minorities themselves in that generation, but also the white young people also were shown to have these much more progressive social attitudes, I think in large part because of the people that they interact with on a daily basis. This truly has been a diversity explosion. Just recently, from 2016 to 2017, every race and ethnic group grew in this country except for non-Hispanic white Americans. And mixed-race Americans are a growing demographic, too. Mixed-race marriages are up, as are multiracial births. And on an upcoming episode, we're going to talk to young Americans about their experiences being mixed-race. It's clear to see how the world around us is adapting. So take schools, for example. They're adding ethnic studies courses, and workplaces are taking diversity, equity, and inclusion more seriously, too. Yeah, look at the sports world. Players who have previously been told to, quote, stick to sports are speaking up about racial equity inside and outside their organizations. And in some cases, the organizations are listening and making those changes. This year, we've seen the NFL team from Washington, D.C. finally change its name after years of people pointing out how offensive it was to Native Americans. Of course, just because these things are happening doesn't mean that everyone agrees. There's still a long way to go. 
but Gen Z is inheriting these issues and they're ready to discuss them. Here are some of the things we heard from Gen Z about what it feels like to be a part of this, to be changing what it means to be an American. They have a lot of opinions about this, so let's start with some positive ones. It makes me feel really definitely proud. Like, I love being in a generation that's finally so diverse. It's definitely long overdue, I think. I think that we are going in the right direction, being so diverse. Um, And that, just the fact that we're all... I don't know how to explain it. Like, we all have, like, different upbringings, different parents. Um, Things are being more accepted. I think when it comes with more diversity, the idea of what America means will definitely change. I'm not saying that, like, racial ambiguity is, like, the ultimate goal of, like, everything, but I think it makes us understand how much more we are one. One, there's, like, not these, like, super distinct lines of, like, you're this and you're this and you're this. It's like, maybe we're all, like, not... I mean, like, we're not, like, divided so much. I think that's a good uh, learning point. And then also the, the ideas of, like, being a minority or, like, a racial minority, I think that idea is kind of going to start fading, especially because, like, I don't know, people of color are always, like, called minorities. Like, the majority of the world is people of color, so we're not really a minority. But um, I think people are going to start to realize that a bit more um, as we become more diverse. That was Sophia Megala, Veronica Zermino, Deanna Maya, and India Griffin. Just to note the diversity here, Sophia is white, Veronica is Latina, Deanna is Arab-American, and India is Black. Kim Parker from Pew Research told us that members of Gen Z are more likely to say that racial diversity is a good thing for society. Older generations are either neutral or less positive about that. But some of the young Americans that we talked to also have concerns about this shift that's underway. Right now, we're going to hear from Nicholas Ames, who is white, and Nina Salome, who is Arab-American. So most people will be like, okay, different, cool. Let's readjust to this, you know, let's be mature and welcome them in, you know. But there's going to be some people that are not going to like it, whether it's my generation or anybody else's generation. And I think that's going to be one of the hardest parts for us because we feel like, you know, hey, we're not being um, the dominant uh, race that we were in. You know, nobody's dominant over the other. Yes, there's a lot more of us, but nobody's dominant. Just numbers are just a sign, all right? You know, let's let's all calm down here. I think that I agree that it's very exciting, but I also think that arises a whole bunch of new challenges. Like, whether that be those of a first-generation immigrant like me, like, you kind of have to balance the culture of your parents with your own culture of being raised in America and American ideals. And I also think it raises the issue of, like, with this new amount of people of color, people of different sexualities, people of different genders, it's going to be harder for them to kind of rise in the system we've built, which is largely controlled by white males. So I'm also worried that if it's going to be harder for more people. So young people are trying to address this in real time. Nina, who you just heard from, went as far as to start a diversity awareness club at her high school. Something I actually started when I was a freshman, so it's really ongoing and it's going to keep going after we graduate because we already have juniors who are interested. And it's basically just focused on minorities in general because San Diego High is really, really diverse. We're one of the most diverse campuses in San Diego. 
and that's amazing and everyone acknowledges that diversity is amazing but a lot of people don't talk about how a lot of issues come up because of that like we have esl students who don't necessarily can't necessarily understand the english textbooks and yet we don't have any resources for them or any spanish textbooks we also have a lot of homophobia on campus we recently had a hate crime that was actually really like drastic a very big thing and it affected a lot of people on campus and just like acknowledging that even in diversity there's issues of discrimination and homophobia like any sort of type of discrimination is still prevalent even if there's a lot of different type of people on campus it's still there so we're kind of focused on bringing awareness to different cultures but at the same time combating like hate crimes on campus and stuff like that. She explains how difficult these conversations can be despite good intentions. We've also had some stuff where we'll present stuff on different cultures because we also think that part of diversity is not only being there with other people, but knowing stuff about their own cultures and not just your own, obviously, like just knowing stuff about everyone's culture and acknowledging that what may seem foreign to you is actually the norm for someone else. And we shouldn't hate on others because of their own like cultural norms and stuff like that. So we want to do like educational presentations and we've done a couple and sometimes people can ask like mildly offensive questions, obviously not on purpose, but just because of like the kind of lack of education around certain cultures. And so that can be kind of a struggle if I'm giving a presentation, like say about Saudi Arabia and someone just like not purposefully will ask like a really offensive question toward the Saudi Arabian culture. And I have to answer it, but it's still like, I'm trying to like educate people without insulting other cultures in a way. So we have some struggles with those. Yeah, that's a pretty amazing thing that you lead those discussions. I bet it's a pretty big challenge. Yeah, but as long as everyone gets educated at the end, then you know that you've met your goal. So what does this all mean? Bill Fry from Brookings says there are two big takeaways here. One, there really is a diversity explosion happening. And two, that the country needs to be prepared for it. It's important to understand this because if you're putting, uh, you know, investment into education, investment into social programs that affect young families, uh, you need to make sure that they reach out to all of these different groups, some of which, you know, are first generation English speakers, maybe their parents aren't and uh, to be able to, be, to connect with their needs, their interests, their culture, their political issues uh, in, in a very different way than we might have in the past. So when you think about people going to school, school-age population, which already nationally uh, in terms of public schools are, are, are minority white in the K-12 in the United States, and uh, so people need to kind of understand that when they're dealing with those kinds of issues, it's different from the past. It's very different from the past. So these demographic changes have real implications beyond just what people think or say or feel about it. It's going to force the country and its institutions to change and to accommodate different kinds of people. And that affects everyone, regardless of your generation. Generation Z doesn't have all the answers either, but they're very aware of these issues and doing what they can to address them. More diversity doesn't always mean acceptance, and talking about diversity doesn't always lead to change. Here's Erica Alvarez from Katy, Texas, who organized a Black Lives Matter protest this year with two of her friends. It's, just, it's very diverse, like um, racially. Um, Katy and like Corbin County, Harris County, I think um, they're like known as one of the most diverse counties like in the U.S. 
but then people excuse that diversity for like progressiveness which is wrong and they're like oh no katie can't be racist katie can't be like whatever because we're so diverse like look at all like these people and so oftentimes there's like a lot of thought but just no action but Gen Z is taking action. Erica and her group, Katie for Justice, are now tackling all sorts of social justice issues. You're going to hear more from that group in our next episode. And coming up later in the series, we'll talk about politics, what Generation Z wants out of their school systems, and more about identity and culture. We always try to let Generation Z have the last word on these episodes. So here's Panchito Martinez. He's a college-age member of Gen Z who mentors young students. When I asked him if he thought America was ready for the quickly changing demographics and whether it would be a good thing or a bad thing for the country, he turned the question back on me before answering. I think that that question gets us to think about the two sides, is it good or is it bad? Or what are the limitations and could set us up in a binary or complicate things? I think another question that should be asked is, does everyone deserve access to the same resources or to have a dignified quality of life and I think that if you answer that and you and you think about it and you really wrestle with it then you in my ideally in my head you say yes but maybe people won't say yes and then you start to work well if that's the case then what do we need to do to make sure that that does happen regardless of what the obstacles are we truly believe that everyone deserves a dignified quality of life and to have their basic needs met, to have meaningful, fulfilling lives, what do we need to do to make that happen? Uh, but the question, not avoid the question, is, it good, is diversity good for the country? I think one answer might be it helps us think differently, it helps us grow in different ways that we wouldn't have if we would have remained with people that are like-minded, but again, I, I, think, I think we need to ask larger questions about equity and justice. Thanks for listening to this episode of Hello, Gen Z. We would love to invite you to check out more about this generation online at uniontrib.com slash hello, Gen Z. You can see photos of some of the people we talk to and read essays they've written as well. And you can also find us on social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at HelloGenZ. Thanks again to the many members of Generation Z who helped us with this project, including the Circulo de Hambres from the Barrio Logan College Institute and Katie for Justice. Special thanks to the Brookings Institution and Pew Research Center. And a very special thanks to our colleague Laura Castaneda for sharing her expertise with us. Our project editor is Matthew T. Hall, and I, Christy Totten, along with Abby Hamblin, reported, wrote, and produced this series. Hello, Gen Z comes out every Thursday wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and subscribe and tell your friends about us. Thanks. Bye. Bye.